While you're turning there, I'll remind you, the Bible says in verse number 1 of 1 Thessalonians 5, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. We skip down to verse number 7. For they that sleep, sleep in the dark, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, uh, we should live together with Him. This is an end times passage, this entire thing. Speaking of the times and the seasons, the day of the Lord, and that we are not appointed to wrath. So these first ten verses clearly speak of this. And then I want you to skip down to verse number 23, if you would please, and look at that with me. The Bible says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this, ent this entire passage, even though we often separate it from end times uh, scriptures, is an end times passage. So we've done the first 10 verses over the past couple of weeks. We're going to pick it up here in verse number 11 this evening. I just wanted to remind you of the end times scripture and the context of the passage. So we pick it up here in verse number 11. The Bible says, wherefore, is that me? Oh, it's you. Okay. All right. It was so loud. I felt like it was right here. All right. I'm going to check mine now. Okay. We're good. All right. Verse number 11. Now, knowing that we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please impress upon our hearts the truths that you would have us to hear this evening. Each person sitting here has different needs spiritually. We all have sins that we need to repent of or will at times in our lives. Lord, we all have times that we need comforted. And Lord, there are many things that we should do that we often don't. I pray that you would do the work through your Holy Spirit this evening. Please pour out your Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and of speech. Fill me with your Holy Spirit power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. Now, I don't know how much time I'm going to spend on the first part of verse number 11. But if there is anything that Christians need to do in these last days, while, remember... The people of Thessalonica who had experienced such great tribulation and trials had to be rem reminded that they were not appointed to wrath. In other words, it's very possible. As you get into 2 Thessalonians, I think you'll see this. It's very possible that these people needed to be reminded that they were not in the actual tribulation. And if you get into 2 Thessalonians, I believe that that point is made clear. 
But in other words, they were going through such great trial that they're reminded that they are not appointed unto wrath. This is not what uh, they have been told will one day come, the wrath of God upon the earth. And so they are going through great trial. And as we go through these last days, there is a possibility that Christianity will be going through great trial all across the world. I don't know, and I'm not trying to discourage you, I don't know what will happen in America, but we have become so familiar with freedom of religion that we don't know what much of the rest of the world deals with, and we don't know what, what much of Ameri or, or uh, 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 Christian history has dealt with. Often we get the idea that because it's always been this way, it will always be this way, and that America will never see the kind of persecution that other Christians did see in the past. That must be the tribulation time alone. But that's not the case for the church of Thessalonica. And it hasn't been the case for many others through history. So I don't say that to discourage you, but I do say that to say that verse number 11 is very meaningful to a group of Christians that are going through great trials and sufferings and tribulations. Now, the kinds of trials and sufferings and tribulations that they are experiencing are largely being brought on or, or upon them by a world that is against Christianity. But these passages are also true for Christians that are experiencing trials in general. And through different stages of life and through different stages of Christianity, we will all have trials that seem like tribulations. And the Bible uses that word tribulation interchangeably to express that which is the end of days and also great trials and great burdens. And the Bible tells us that there is no greater need. Now notice, we switch from talking about the end days and what it looks like to immediately, the first instruction that is given to God's people is, so because of all these things, comfort yourselves, what? Together. Do you see it in verse number 11? Look at it with me now. So because of all these things, wherefore? Because of all these things that I just said, comfort yourselves, what? Together. That word yourselves suggests unity already. That we as a church want to comfort ourselves because we love one another in unity. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Now, there are two sides of comforting yourselves. First, comfort yourselves with the brethren. In other words, you yourself look to the brethren for comfort. Don't look to the world. Don't look to the world's music. Don't look to the world's movies. Don't look to the world's hobbies. Look to God's people. When you start going through hard times, there should be no place better for a Christian to run than to God's people. Which brings us to the second side of that equation. Be the kind of person that others can be comforted by in their trials. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Build each other up. Now this is, this is often something that churches assume and that Christians assume is supposed to be done by the preacher. Well, the preacher is supposed to edify us, to build us up. But the Bible says here, edify one another. It is the church's job to encourage, edify, and build each other up. That is exactly opposite of most cantankerous independent Baptists. We love to chew on each other. We love to tear each other down, but not so much edify one another. You know how hard it is to, to uplift somebody and edify one another when you're constantly chewing on them around the dinner table? Well, did you hear that special? What, who does she think she is? She only shows up for this and that and doesn't do this and that, and I don't even think that song is a godly song if you really think about it. 
Now, I don't know that that has happened, but this is the way cantankerous Baptists can be. Well, did you hear so-and-so the other day, what they said and what they did? Don't they know who we are? We're really good sometimes at tearing each other down. And most of the time, that doesn't happen to each other's faces. It's almost always backbiting. The Bible says, edify one another. And by the way, this is not fake edifying. Hey, brother, how's it going? So good to see you tonight. And then when you get home, did you see Brother Andrew's tie? <laughs> now I can say that because I told him I like his tie before church. You see, bro, did you see Brother Andrew's tie? Looks like that thing's from the 40s. <laughs> you know, it doesn't look like it's from the 40s. I just chose a time frame. All right. Why was he leading singing in that? It's really hard to truly build somebody up when you're tearing them down behind their back. Now, we can do it. We know how to be two-faced. But the Bible isn't talking about edifying with your words because we Christians are really good at that. Hey, brother so-and-so. Hey, miss so-and-so. Boy, I sure do love you, but we really don't. Now, the edification that's being spoken of here is not in speech only, but in action. That the things that we do for each other and the way that we act with each other and the way that we talk about each other behind each other's backs, that's edification. Edification is not done in word, it's done in deed. And in truth, not in falsehood. Which is what those fake words are when you lift somebody up in front of their face but behind their back, tear them down. Hey, Christian, let's ask each other, let's ask ourselves a question about each other. Are we truly willing to be a servant of everybody in this church? Because that's what it takes to edify. It takes serving one another. It takes being willing to give and be given. To sacrifice to do what others won't or can't. That's what it takes to edify. It takes a visit at somebody's house. It takes a bag of groceries anonymously when you know they have need. It takes not only a kind word, but a friendship. That's edification. The Bible says to edify one another. If we cannot lean on each other in these last days, we will be a lonely people. Sure, we can lean on the Lord, but the Lord, by leaning upon Him, then points us to each other and says, now go serve one another and edify each other. We all know this, but notice when God says to cast all of our care upon Him and when God tells us to love Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our might. When He tells us to do that, He also tells us to love the brethren as ourselves, right? You see, because God loves each and every one of you so much that He wants each and every one of you to love each other so much. Verse number 12. 
And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, I get uncomfortable when we come through passages like this. I won't avoid them necessarily, but in this passage, Paul is, well, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to speak concerning those which labor among you in the Word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, the Bible says it this way, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable to any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, when Paul is talking about Paul and Apollos and Cephas and Christ, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. In Galatians chapter number 4, Paul says, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Labor here means work that causes one to grow weary, tired, exhausted with toil or burdens of grief. Paul refers to this kind of weight that is carried by a preacher, by a pastor in another place. He mentions all of the turmoil and hardship that he had experienced in ministry life. And I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would please, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and see it. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant. There's that word labors again. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. And the things that are described here are so hard to comprehend that it's almost as if it's not real. And then he says in verse number 26, "...in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers." in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness. There's that labor that causes weariness. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the what? He talks about all these great burdens, And then he compares to all of these great trials physically that he has experienced with the great trials spiritually and internally that a preacher deals with when he carries the weight of the ministry. We go back here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 12. Back to our text. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. And he says this. You know, I, I, I want to I draw another point here. I've never really quite known a weariness as unique as the weariness of spiritual warfare. I've worked in factory jobs. Uh, I've worked customer service jobs, which are mentally exhausting. Um, 
Worked in fast food restaurants. Actually, I think the hardest job I ever had, including working at a couple of factories uh, through Bible college, I think the hardest job I ever had was working the grill at Wendy's when I was in my teenage years. That was hard work, man. Stand over that hot grill, and then, you know, I would close, as they call it. So at the end of the night, you know, the drive-thru would stay open until 11 o'clock, midnight, depending on the, on, the, on the schedule. And then you get to stay around and clean the grill and scrub the floors. And, and they called it decking the floors. And we'd get a deck brush and, 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 and squirt uh, uh, some kind of bleach compound or something into all the cracks and crevices. And it was my job to scrape all that stuff out and pull the fryers out and clean up all the grease underneath the fryers and dump the grease. You have never smelled a smell like a grease pit. Oh, oh, it's horrible. There's nothing like it that I know in this life. Woo! But I cannot tell you how odd it is that every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night there is exhaustion. There's a spiritual warfare in the labor of the ministry that Paul is referring to here. The word labor means work that causes one to grow weary, tired, and exhausted. And he says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. That word know means to see, to be aware, to consider, to understand, to discern, to turn the eyes and mind and attention to, to gain knowledge and understanding of. To have, guard, to have regard for one, to cherish, to pay attention to. We often talk about the pastor getting the heart of the people. And it's one of the things that I pray for frequently, for you all as individuals and for the church as a whole. Lord, give me their hearts. And boy, do I long to have the heart of Calvary Baptist Church. And that takes time. It takes trust. I know that. But I still pray for it often. Because I know if I have your heart, we can do so much more for the Lord. And we often talk about the pastor getting the heart of the people, but this passage states that the people should try to know, understand, and get to know the heart of their pastor. Often we think it's only the pastor's job to get to know us and care for us, but here God says it's also the job of the sheep to learn the heart of their shepherd. That word know means to care for and get to understand. Sometimes I wish I could take the mind of a Christian and insert in it the thoughts and care that I have for you. Sometimes when I see somebody going astray, I wish I could get you to see things the way that I see them and to understand things the way that I believe that God gives insight to the pastor. Sometimes a pastor sees the path of a Christian long before they see it themselves. And sometimes that's a blessing and sometimes it's not. Because you carry that weight. I carry the weight of the people that miss services for no good reason. I carry the weight of a person that walks out angry. Often, I lose sleep. Pastor carries weight that God puts upon him for the burden of the church that unfortunately cannot be understood by any layman. 
The Bible says, Brethren, we beseech you to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now that term, over you in the Lord, means, unfortunately, those who have the rule over you. Now, I say unfortunately because no Christian likes to hear that. But in Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 7, the Bible says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now listen, some people have been hurt by preachers who have, or, or have been around preachers that abused passages and demanded blind loyalty while they led people astray or abused Christians. That is not my heart for you. But because some have been hurt in the past, they look upon these passages with angst and frustration. But they're still there. And a pastor who truly loves his people will not use what God has given them to harm his people, but rather carries that as a weight as well. The Bible says later on in Hebrews 13, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The Lord teaches me that I am not to be a Lord over God's heritage, but rather to be an example, to try to be an example of the faith that we encourage and admonish the believers to live. My dad has long said, and not all preachers will do this, but my dad has long said, I will not preach something I am not living because I'm supposed to be an example of the faith that I'm preaching. I watched him say that in a meeting that I had some other preachers uh, in And I watched the room go silent as they had been amening until he made that statement. Because it's a strong statement, but I believe also one that is needful. The Bible says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. I don't enjoy admonishment. That word admonish means to warn and exhort, but it means this, to caution or reprove gently. And I added to that lovingly. It's never my desire to admonish when I'm afraid that it could hurt some church member who won't hear it the way that I intend it but it's still my job to do so. A preacher of the Word of God is not supposed to skip over certain passages just because it may offend. If that were the case, there would be nothing left to preach. I want you to notice that these passages describe the pastor not by his title, but by the work that God has given him. Labor, ruling, and admonishing. Verse number 13. The Bible says, And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. To esteem there 
means to hold in opinion or high regard. I'd rather move past it at this point. The Bible says, and be at peace among yourselves. Church, the need for peace in the assembly is not quite the same as the desire to comfort as mentioned in verse number 11. To be at peace among yourselves means to not only have a heart that is willing and ready to comfort one another, but also to have absolutely no tension, no war, and no issues among each other. We can still care for each other and comfort one another and not really like each other because we do it out of principle. But to be at peace among yourselves is something that is said straight to the heart. Something that can only be done from the inner part of man. That we have no tension or no contention with any member of God's church. Notice in verse number 13, the last part of the passage, and be at peace among yourselves. Look at verse number 14. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Now, this is very interesting. In verse number 12, the Bible speaks of the pastor who labors among you, is over you, and admonishes you. Now the same word from which the word admonish shows up and is translated is the one that is in verse number 14 where the Bible says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Now, what does that mean? It means the exact same thing that the pastor is supposed to do for the people, which means to caution or reprove gently to warn. Now, Admonishment against wrongdoing and the wrong path is described here as not only being the pastor's responsibility. Christians should be standing for what's right and gently reproving each other when we get into sin. Now, there is a formula for how this looks because the Bible tells us in verse number 14, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Now, that word unruly means warn them that are irregular, or inordinate. Now that word inordinate means people that are excessive, immoderate, and not limited to the rules of Scripture. Are you with me? Alright, so what does that mean? It means that God's people are not supposed to walk around as judges. This is not a dismissal of the Scripture in Matthew where the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. That is not what God is saying here. It's not the same thing. This isn't judgmental watching and correcting as we constantly observe each other to make sure that we keep each other in order. This is in that rare occasion when in love and compassion for each other, we see a brother or a sister that we love not limiting themselves from any excess of sin and heading on the path of self-destruction that we are to step in and warn them. And that's not just the pastor's responsibility. It is also the responsibility of the church. Now listen, 
there's two sides to this equation, just like there was in a previous point just a moment ago. A church that is taught to, to, to uh, warn them that are unruly has to also be a church that is willing to receive warning when we are unruly. And there's the, there's the balance. That listen, if all of us are humble enough to understand that if we get on the path of unrighteousness that is leading to our own destruction and we're getting into excessive sin without any limitation of Scripture being applied to our lives and somebody comes up to us and says, Hey brother, I'm not sure if you realize this, but what you're doing right now is not okay. Then as a Christian, we're supposed to be able to take the correction of another church member in a good spirit and repent. And that takes a lot of humility and an understanding of God's intention for the church. Now notice this. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. But then notice how he, how he balances this. Comfort the feeble-minded. That means those that are, those that are faint-hearted or little-spirited. When people lose their spirit, they lose their drive, they lose their determination, they lose their will. And they can be very easily broken. It means they're fragile. And we can all experience times when we're more fragile and we need to be ready to comfort one another. There was a famous preacher that used to end his radio broadcast, radio broadcast every single broadcast. He would say, be kind to everyone because everyone is having a tough time. Be watchful and attentive to those in the church that seem a little more fragile. Now listen, can I just say this? Seriously. It's not our job to fly off the handle immediately when somebody flies off the handle at us. Can I say something here? I've learned over the years, personally and pastorally, that hurting people hurt people. Or you could say it this way, hurt people hurt people. And we need to try to understand. If so, Listen, somebody flies off the handle or, or, you, or you, you stick out your hand and say, hey brother or sister, so and so, how's it going? And they don't react well. Our first response shouldn't be, well you good for nothing, peace of You just don't even know what I'm going through. Why would you act like that? Instead, it should be well, there's somebody that's feeble and frail and hurting. Often we get defensive when somebody else seems to break easily. But brother, when somebody's breaking easily, there's often something else wrong. When somebody's getting angry at church, there's often something else wrong. Well, don't you know what they said? Did you ever consider what might be going on in their life? I have this conversation often. Listen, I hear what you're saying. But is this normal for that person to act that way? Consider that. Have they always been that way? If they have, then they're in sin. But if this is a person who just 
uncharacteristically, is behaving in a way where they're easily broken, they easily fly off the handle, then there might be something to consider there. What's going on with them personally? Don't take personal. What might be going on with somebody else personally? The balance of a church who can give each other correction and admonishment but also comfort each other when we're weak, hurting, and fragile is the sign of a caring and loving church. Because we care and love, care for and love each other enough to not let each other go down the path of destruction without at least saying something. That should be done in love. And by the way, if you can't do it in gentleness, don't do it. Because that is the definition of this word. But can I say that we ought to be ready to comfort the feeble-minded. Notice verse number 14, support the weak. Be patient to all men. Listen, I'm done, but what does that mean, be patient to all men? It means to be of a long spirit. Not to lose heart about somebody. To be slow to anger and slow to punish them. To have long patience. To patiently endure. Can I ask you a question this evening? Can we patiently endure people who wrong us? Can we patiently endure being defrauded, as 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 says? The Lord says in 1 Corinthians 6 to a carnal church, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you. A fault. A malady. A cancer. A problem that can be seen because you don't rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded. Did you catch that? Well, sure, would you look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? God says, you want, you want a sign of a church that has a fault? Show me a church that can't take wrong. And I'll show you a church that has a problem. Show me a church that can't be taken advantage of without flying off the handle. And I'll show you a church that's lost its love for God's people. It's lost its ability to understand. It's lost its ability to try to understand. It's lost its ability to comfort the feeble-minded and the weak. Listen, church. That word, we exhort you, is a strong word. It's a word of emphasis. We exhort you, brethren, Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. All men. Not just the ones we like. All of them.
Can I ask you, Christian, did you come tonight hurting, breaking easily? You find your emotions being broken a lot easier than they used to. You find that burdens seem to be getting heavier and you're getting weak under the weight. Can I beg you to do something tonight? Please, comfort yourselves together and find another Christian to lean on and talk to. Somebody who won't hurt you but can help you through. And please remember that you always have a preacher that loves you and wants to hear your cares. And that more importantly, you have a God who cares deeply about what you're feeling and wants to comfort you when you're feeble-minded. Sometimes we as Christians are taught so often to be tough that we don't allow ourselves to be weak. And sometimes the only way you can really find comfort is to be weak to another brother and share your heart and your burden and to be weak before your Savior and say, Lord, I need help. Christian, if you need help tonight, I promise you I care for you, but I promise you your God cares for you. Don't carry that burden alone. And church, can we please be the kind of church that's willing to comfort the feeble-minded and the weak and to be very patient toward all of the brethren. Be kind to everybody. Because at some point, everybody's having a tough time. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd please help us to take these things to heart this evening. Help us to understand them. Meditate on them. Consider them. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, how many would say, Preacher, if I were to die today, I'd